Hey guys, this is John Lance from the Queensland Reds, and uh, you're tuning into the Running Rugby Podcast. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again, and Larkham. Kefu. everybody welcome back sizzling weekend of rugby to talk about on this show we have leo with us here toby hopefully joining us later as always i'm your host archie and you're listening to the running rugby podcast and we start with a bit of news starting off we've had articles coming out that the sunwolves might be in danger of getting cold that's right news from sansa at the moment that they want to modify the super rugby and take it back down to 14 teams Looks like this might have been pushed by the South Africans. Have you heard this, Leo? I've heard a bit, and and we've discussed it briefly. Uh, it seems to be you know related to sort of financial reasons and travel schedules, and anyone who would want to get rid of the Sun Wolves, claiming they're no longer or they haven't been competitive, is just just hasn't got the patience to to wait for them to get there because they're they're obviously on the right track this year, and um, in other news that we'll get to in a sec, like. They're clearly drawing good talent to that team, and and I see no uh, obstructions to them getting to be uh, just as competitive as most of the other teams in this competition. So um, disappointing that there's already agitation for change. I guess like Super Rugby's been subject to a lot of changes recently, and mm. it's it's pretty frustrating to to think that we're going to change again. Um, I'm sure they'll still call it Super Rugby, but. You know, we're just getting used to conference structures for the second time, and and it's just, it just feels unnecessary. I don't know why there's a need for such regular change. Yeah, I I dislike that they're trying to change things again. From what I could see, it was a bit of a push from the South Africans, claiming they're not sort of getting a large enough chunk of the pie as well in terms of those financial reasons. But from everything that we've sort of been hearing, that South Africa is going to be leaving sort of Super Rugby at some point because they're going to push and into Europe and join that sort of market. I think it'd be such a such a mistake to, to get rid of the Japanese team that's probably going to hang around and wants to be in this competition. And, that's, and they're starting to become more and more competitive. Yeah, South Africa does have that alignment with the Northern Hemisphere European leagues just on a time zone uh, aspect. And yeah, it involves more travel, but it might be a bit more lucrative for them. Maybe that'll be um, part of the the compromise if, if it does come to a hard bargain on whether they stay or go or just pull some teams that that they want more more of a share but uh, again I think we talked about this the other week when we talked about the World League World Nations Championship stuff and at some point the big players have to step up to the plate and accept maybe a slightly smaller share in order to develop the secondary mm. tier of nations that's that's their competition ongoing people aren't going to enjoy watching the same two three four teams playing each other uh as infrequently as they already do and and just ignoring all the other games we want all test matches to be competitive and we're going to have to develop some of the second tier nations to bring them up to the same level that's going to take time and money and and the the big countries that make a lot of the money uh investing in their own future really so um i hope i hope that's what comes about in the long term 
Yeah, speaking of this sort of World League thing, right after we uh, had a discussion about it last week, they've now sort of announced a potential format for it. And I know there's been significant disagreements still from uh, a few of these other places. Australian Rugby Australia wasn't sure about neither the New Zealand Rugby Union and the French and English provincial con- competitions, I think, were thoroughly against it because I think they're going to strip away a lot of their players um, because this is such a large... Uh, competition that would obviously run over lots of different weeks. Um, it's it's amazing the amount of tests that they prob- would be putting on the backs of these players if they were going to put this in actual motion. Yeah, it's a it's a very different structure to what we what we sort of got a first look at. Uh, I don't know why we've we've had one and then the other. That surely they haven't suddenly backflipped and changed into something different on on the initial release or, or leak or whatever it was. This this one looks more interesting, more balanced, more opportunity for teams to find themselves in the right tier for competition. But like you said, it's a lot of games, and um, it it is to a degree deconstructing a lot of the historic competitions. Um, like they're still being played, but they're kind of just part of another greater um, championship that runs the course of the year. Mm. Um, obviously. Not a good start having disagreements from such big players as Australia, New Zealand, England, and France. The the thing that I find uh, a bit odd, like there's there's I suppose you could compare it to cricket, where you've got international teams playing pretty much year round, or at least you know preparing year round if they're not playing year round. And we struggle to see those guys go back into the the competitions which rest under the international game. Mm. When are those guys getting their getting their reps and and building combinations? It's 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 not great for the clubs for the provincial teams uh, in these in these um, sub international competitions because they just have so much turnover and it makes it harder to follow. And you know you think you've got a good squad, but then they all get selected and suddenly you're weak, and that, that's that's going to affect you pretty badly in terms of um, tickets out, like attendance at your games. Yeah. Um it's it's very disruptive so um yeah that 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 layer of international games all year round um on top of provincial competitions it's a fine balance and mm. um I worry that maybe it's gone a bit heavily towards the international fixtures. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm sure we'll probably hear more of this in sort of the future if it does get a sort of push to finalize but you're right they're deconstructing a lot of these original competitions they're saying the six nations is still sort of part of that northern hemisphere comp but what happens when italy doesn't win again and um gets pushed out of that competition and gets relegated what happens in the six nations does that mean that still exists and they have to play another game versus italy because um they haven't got them out of the six nations yet yeah that's right and and do do the, the matches that constitute the six nations all get played um in their own little cycle of five or six weeks, or is it then split up with other games? You know, if you do it, if you do it all up front, and then the other games feel like again lesser games, like less important because they're, um, you know, they're coming after, or you've seen all the big fixtures, and uh, or you dilute it, and then does it really exist? Well, it's not the same test yeah. as it used to be because they're not having to play these strong teams back to back to back to back, and it's. You know they're going to suffer injuries, like unfortunate injuries in games that are they should win, but are less meaningful. Are they even going to play their good players? Are they going to want to rest them? Like there's mm. a lot of different ways this can 
um, backfire and, and be less uh, a lower quality product. So anyway, it's it's going to be one of those things which is going to be on a slow burn, and um, we'll, we'll see we'll see what news comes out for the rest of the year. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of response and, and feedback and review from every commentator and his dog. Yeah, definitely, and we'll we'll keep you updated with any major changes in that. But looking closer to sort of Super Rugby and closer to home, uh, a familiar name has popped up this week. Uh, Amanaki Murphy. Yes, you may remember him uh, as the barnstorming number eight, playing for the Rebels for the last couple of years. And in fact, the Super Rugby Australian Super Rugby Player of the Year two years ago, and he's popped back up. He's a Japanese international. Uh, obviously had some issues with Lepeti Tamani at the end of last season, uh, was suspended, but he has signed on with Japan and now signed on with the Sunwolves. Yeah, huge signing for them. Um, the amount of go forward a guy like Amanaki Mafi can generate just on his own. We're seeing him last year for the Rebels uh, regularly taking 20 carries and you know over 100 metres and you know these kick returns, obviously he'd be sitting at the back with the full back and they just load him up, and he just come barreling back into the line. Um, such a such a quality player, and and like like many players, not without some some issues. But uh, hopefully, that's <laughs> only in his past. He bring that that attitude to a, a rising Sunwolves team in 2019, and and it just makes me think about how how much uh, how much more go forward the forwards will will create with a, a player of his caliber. Um, you know, when they've got everyone fit and all the internationals back in the team, uh, the backs will be very, very excited that they've got someone like that carrying the ball up front, getting across the gain line and setting them up for lots of point scoring opportunities. And looks like Toby's dialed in and is joining us now as well. Uh, welcome, Toby. Hey, boys. Sorry, Mr. Start. Just working too hard, I guess. Got to remember, man, your, your first job is the podcast, obviously. Yes, of course. See, I, I tend to forget that, and that's the problem here. Yeah. It's exciting news. We were just talking about Amanaki Murphy coming on for the Sunwolves. Yeah, that's massive, honestly. I I didn't think he'd get another shot at Super Rugby so quickly. And, you know, you remember towards the end of last season when, when all this stuff went down, um, you know, he's still facing charges, charges in New Zealand, I think. So he's very lucky to have this opportunity, but I think he, he definitely won't let them down. And it seems like they've got quite a few guys coming back into the team, so they're looking even more dangerous. Yeah, definitely. When they're having the likes of McMahon and Amanaki Mafia in that sort of back row, we'll make the Sunwolves very potent. The only other thing that we have this week, and we sort of, and the start of this week, we have the first sort of Wallabies training camp getting together and a few names coming back into it. You have Quade Cooper and Slipper returning to the fray in that. Unfortunately, some other names sort of snubbed in the likes of Carmichael Hunt, Billy Meeks, not, not getting the invitation to, to come in this week. Um, but they were bringing in some of the injured players like Tony Pullett. Um, just certain people sitting out that you think should be there. I think Carmichael Hunt, there is some reasoning behind that because Checker really wants to, himself to prove that he's you know, back to business for more than just three games. He wants him to kind of show that longevity and show his commitment to the Tars before he gives him another opportunity with the Wallabies. But some of these other guys, I don't know if it's just because the Rebels had to get to South Africa and they didn't want to deplete, you know, half the squad, bringing them into this camp. But, yeah, it was interesting to see who was there and who wasn't there. I actually found it really difficult to find the list of players that, that were in this camp. It, 
it wasn't wasn't that well reported. Um, but uh, yeah, I find it odd that these guys are snubbed and we put someone like Tony Pulu in. Like, I guess to a degree, they're they're focused on securing the the loyalty of, of players that they haven't necessarily got yet. Um, yeah, and and this is a good opportunity for him to to meet some of the broader squad in a in a like it's not a training context, right? It's if anything, it's like a it's like a health check, a bit of a condition check. Mm. Um, you know, probably probably some very early uh, strategies kind of discussions and and something to hopefully something that the guys will get given to take back to their teams to focus on to make the most of the remaining Super Rugby games before Wallaby selections occur. Um, I think Meeks has played out of his skin, not just not just the start of this year, but last year. I know he's a, a atypical fit for an inside centre, but he's just doing so many things so well. Um, you know, he, he's almost the he could be the shining light that Checker brings in the squad. Says, see, even if you're not the same build and this or the you know the typical build, the typical uh, type of player for this position, people who play well and and put in the effort get rewards and I think it's a it's a bit disappointing that, that message wasn't sort of put out there uh, but I am glad that Cooper and Slipper have, have got back in I think they're also deserving you'd have to think with Tony Pulu that maybe there's something to do with a, a top up through the Rugby Australia contract or something whether he's had some sort of incentive or guarantee that he'll be at least in the wider training squad in his first year, because you've seen this happen before with a few guys that have come in that, you know, they they may have had the chance to play in another country and the Wallabies have actually secured them in some capacity mm. and they seem to feature for the first year. And then after that, they kind of disappear. So I don't know. It, it seems a bit suspect, but I mean, he is injured as well. So maybe that was just more to kind of give him an idea of how the Wallabies setup works. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit strange that they're sort of not, not putting in two of probably their number 12s that were a bit more straight ball running rather than the second playmaker role. But obviously they may not be going away from what they've been doing in terms of having Foley and Beal. Let's let's get into our deconstruction of the round. We'll start with the players of the round. And uh, for myself, I actually um, had to pick a young man from the Crusaders and we haven't seen this gentleman before, Sebu Reese. He made his debut on the wing for the Crusaders this weekend. And I I don't know how the, the Crusaders do it. They keep managing to pull out some of these really, really quick Islander players with amazing skills. Look, they had Tamani Valu uh, last year. They had Mata Eli that got injured earlier this year. And Sebu Reese uh, was absolute lightning on the field, taking some intercepts, getting back for some kicks. And he was just all over the place. A huge amount of work rate from this guy. Some big hits. You saw him put a big hit on Solomon Alemanu, who was his first sort of run back in here. But um, just a guy that was obviously so excited to get on the field for the Sabres and he didn't let them down at all. And he absolutely had a cracker of a game in what was a bit of a romp by the Crusaders over the Chiefs. He's actually from sort of the, the pool of players that the Chiefs would usually draw from. So he was overlooked by them uh, for the start of the season. And, and of course, the Crusaders um, see the quality in these in these unsigned, un, sort of uh, unheralded players and, and, and find diamonds in the rough. So uh, having having him come out and have such a great game on debut against the Chiefs, who could have potentially been in their squad, a bit of a... Bit of a pill to swallow for the for the Chiefs. 
Yeah, definitely. Leo, who do you have? So I've gone across the seas over to South Africa this week, and um, my player who I'd like to mention is uh, Wanda Silamane. Silamilane, mm. sorry. Um, so another player on debut, um, and in a game where the Lions really got their teeth into a home game, got their teeth into the game and, and, and pulled one over the Haguaras or showed that they're a quality lineup again this year. Um, he was everywhere. He was uh, leading the Miz, carries, defenders beaten, um, clean breaks for, for the Lions. He was really highly involved and just brought uh, a much straighter line of attack to that team. And, and I don't know if I can't really put it down to him making the, the difference for the Lions. There was a lot of good forward play uh, in this game as well, which we'll, we'll talk about. And a lot of other players had a good game, but um, definitely another player to watch as the season rolls on. And probably going to be pretty crucial for the Lions, who have, have definitely been on the slide. They need to get some fresh blood in there and, and uh, turn around their fortunes. This, this guy is going to be uh, pretty influential in that, I think. Yeah, he was definitely, well, the commentators were definitely very excited by the young prospects they were bringing through in the Lions, and Similani definitely stood up with that. Apparently, he's had some big um, impact playing in, like, the under-20s and things for South Africa. Uh, so he's probably a name that will keep keep popping up. Toby, what, what did you think? Did you have anyone of the round that you thought um, particularly changed things? Um, I think, well, particularly for me, Will Genier was hard to go past, just even if it was for the last, say, 20 minutes of, of that Rebels game. He just, he was so fired up. He took control of the game, you know, by the scruff of the neck. He was upset at his forwards and, you know, really motivated them and then also took the game into his own hands and just some of the, the plays he was making were just, I don't know. It's kind of old school Will Genia from 2011 at the Reds where he, you know, he brought his running game back into it and mm. he was, um, you know, varying his game a lot, which I really liked. And, you know, I think having Quaid there's really boosted his form as well. I know that last year we were really impressed with his early form down at the Rebels, but I think, you know, having that comfort of having Quaid next to him again, I think actually he's, um, he's lifted his, his game again and it's all good signs for the Wallabies come World Cup time. Yeah, definitely. Why don't we just jump straight into that game for our recap anyway, because it's a definitely a good one to start with. Friday night, back down in Melbourne, Rebels-Brumbies, and it's a rematch from round one. And the Rebels taking this one, a very close one, 29-26. to 26, And the first half was all the Brumbies, and then the Rebels had to come back to turn this one around. Yeah, I think, well, the Rebels are making a habit of this, aren't they? They're just kind of, they don't panic too much. They seem to know their strengths and they seem to know when to pounce on these games. And, I mean, the Tars were doing this um, previously as well where they didn't have a good first half and then they had to play catch-up. So it's um, it's not the best way to go about winning, I think, but they're managing to do it at this stage. And you'd have to think if they can get a little bit more consistent throughout the whole game in terms of their performances, they're really going to be hard to beat because at the moment they're playing with confidence, um, even if they're down and... Um, yeah, I just think they've just been really impressive. And to have an undefeated Australian team at this time of the season, I think it's similar to, to what they were doing last year. Didn't they go five five wins in a row last year? Mm. So they're at four at the moment. Um, it's Or wait, are they at three? Maybe they're at they're three. They're at three. They're at three. Cause they're three, the sorry. Bar. So, I mean, look, you can't 
really say anything too negative about the Rebels. And, yeah, I think the Brumbies, even though they have that physicality in the forwards, the Rebels' backs and some of the smart players they have really took over. Yeah, so the the Rebels, I, I wouldn't even say they've had a bad half, particularly like the Brumbies. The Brumbies got on top uh, a lot of set piece, a lot of, you know, rolling malls, which we know they're so dominant at. Um, but the Rebels haven't really had a disappointing half, so that probably helps feed into that confidence that, well, hang on, we, we're in the game. We haven't dropped uh, every pass. We, we shouldn't feel bad for ourselves. We don't need to drop our heads where... This is just a it's just a tight contest. The other team's a bit ahead at the moment, but we, we back ourselves to stay in it. And and that is the mentality you need to have because there's a lot of teams out in the in the super rugby competition who have a lot of firepower and might try and blow you away early in the game. And it, it may become a, a bit of a, a game of attrition, war of attrition. And knowing knowing that you've got the stock to, to attack back when the time is right and being patient enough not to force your hand and get further behind is is that uh, maturity that uh, the Rebels didn't have in previous seasons, seem to have now. I think it's partially a, that any Cooper combination. I think they really settled in well there and they're not overplaying their hand, but they're, as you say, Toby, grabbing the game by the scruff when they have to. Yeah, I think just to come back, like the Brumbies' defence stood up really hard in that really at the start of the game and put off Quaid, I think, a little bit in that sort of really at-the-line sort of playing and passing late. Um, but to hold the Rebels to three points, they finish the half and they've got two people in the bin, two yellow cards. They're down 14-3. to three, And then them to come back, even to then score um, in the second half while they still were 13 men versus 15 when they when they put over Korobiti, who really just took it on himself after a long pass from Quaid and got through about four or five uh, Brumbies defenders to crash over the line and start this sort of fight back from them. Was that the no-look pass or was that to Maddox? No, that was the no-look pass to Korobiti that he hit them. It was about a 20-metre wide pass, yeah. I want to ask you guys, though, why do people try and defend this Brumbies mall? I don't know, understand why. Palau Fienga's now scored a try in four consecutive games for the Brumbies, all on the back of this Brumbies mall. Um, I just don't really understand why teams like the Rebels, and I think, I hope, this weekend the Brumbies are going to be playing the Tars. I don't know why teams that maybe with a slightly weaker pack even put people into a mall against them. I'd definitely be telling my team to stand back, let them come down with it. They can form up, but they can't move because... They're going to get done for obstruction and just don't don't engage in that because it's such a powerful machine. I think just it's it's really hard not to commit because I think as a forward pack you have this, I guess you, you're a proud forward pack and you want to actually take on one of the the tougher teams, and so just to s- step back from a line out and let them kind of form that ball and then be able to do nothing with it, I think that's really tough. Um, but. Yeah, I think that the Tars will need to think about what they're going to do against this Brumbies pack because they're a far bigger pack than the Tars. I think the same. Um, it's it is you know you got to be really coordinated as a forward pack to to all to engage because if you if you even have one engage and then they can get their roll on, well you're immediately on the back foot because you haven't formed up properly. Uh, equally, as soon as you choose not to engage in the mall, if you do that on their first line out and and put them put them in that pressure they go okay so that this is their tactic they're going to do this so then they start 
looking like they're going to form a mall, but they actually pop the ball off to someone and that person runs into a, a group of forwards who aren't ready, standing back, just expecting them all to form. All of a sudden, you're capitalising on that uh, position. So it's probably something which it would be a, um, a, a trick you could pull out of the bag maybe mid-game if they have gotten a bit of a roll on and then you just pull it out for, as a one-off and, and see if you can draw a penalty and, and kill some momentum. And I don't know if I'd actively make a habit of... of stand back on every mall because I think a smart team will adapt and take advantage of it in some other way. Yeah, maybe. I, I still think that that might be a good tactic to employ versus the Brumbies because, as you said, if they then look to form a mall but then flip it out, you still, you're not having to defend a mall. That seems like an almost automatic try. Well, I'm thinking of someone cutting through their line out or their, or their next to their mall uh, on, a, on a, you know, a straight run where you've got everyone kind of standing behind them all ready if they uh, break apart to, to do something but then they you know send someone in on, an, on a blindside line and everyone's focused on not being engaged this mall and thinking it's going to go out in the backs mm. there, there would be ways to exploit it um, as well I guess it's a good surprise tactic is all I'm thinking but other people probably to pull a bit of attention to so obviously the Brumbies forwards were dominant in that mall they weren't as dominant in the scrum as uh, you probably would have thought they'd been, being up a bit up against a bit of a rookie Rebels front row. Um, but that a few players st- really standing up. Robin Valentini hasn't really made that much of an impact this year, uh, but had a bit more to do in this game, and he, t- he took his opportunities. Uh, unluckily de- denied a try initially um, when reaching out and apparently dropped the ball, but got over in the 60th minute uh, to try and give his team a bit more, get more, bit more go-ahead, but... Uh, as Toby mentioned before, they couldn't really stand up to Genia switching switching on and going at the line. And between Genia and Quaid, people like Jack Maddox must just love having these guys uh, throwing these 10 to 20 metres, like flat passes, straight to hand, on the chest. Um, and, I mean, Maddox loves it because he, he gets two tries again in this one. Loving it like he's on the end of a great backline last year. They've added more firepower with Quaid. Um, he's going to be he's going to be well and truly up in the in the top try scorers if he can keep up with people like Nagani Lamapi. Um, but it might all get a bit tougher this week. Nagani, it's Nani. Thanks. Pronounce his first name Nani Lamapi. <laughs> I don't understand how with the G, but silent. Um, the G is silent. Uh, I think that the Rebels are probably now going to be tested on the road. I think going to face the Lions is even though. The Lions are a little bit out of form. Going up to altitude, I think this is probably where they're really going to have to have a good start in the game and not play from behind. Um, so, I don't know. They've, they've got all signs point to success for the Rebels at the moment. It's just whether their forward pack has enough against some of these bigger, more mobile packs. Um, I think it's still at number seven. I've kind of been impressed with Brad Wilkin. As a bit of a an all round player, he's not, you know, that much of a pilferer. Um, I still think they really miss Sean McMahon. Um, if you can imagine Sean McMahon in this star studded Rebels team, and mm. you know, they, I reckon that would take them to the next level again. But um, they're still trying to, you know, form the perfect kind of forward back row combination. Some of the loose forwards as well. They're moving some locks in and out. But I think, you know, they've got the depth there, which is the main thing as well. They, they've got enough depth across these positions. It's just, I think, refining those combinations. 
Yeah, so the Rebels going off to South Africa. So, yeah, that would definitely test them, especially with people like Genia and Quaid obviously staying back for a couple of days before they head over um, while the Brumbies get to go home and versus the Tars. And, look, we had two Australian derbies, and we'll talk about the Waratahs and Reds in a second, but I feel like we probably saw the top two Australian teams in this derby with the Rebels and the Brumbies. And I'm, I'm a little bit more and more coming around to the fact that potentially the Reds and the Tars might be a bit lower down these, than these two. And it'll be very interesting having the Brumbies taking off the Tars. We finally get to see those teams taking on some of the other Australian conference teams. Yeah, I agree, Arch. Uh, I, I think on form, uh, those two teams are definitely uh, the, the most exciting. Like That game was far and away the better game of the two. Uh, you know, the Waratahs and the Reds have, have potential, but um, these two teams are the teams I'm getting most excited about so far this season. I still, I'd still be, you know, there's so much flair and talent in that Tars backline. I think they're just still waiting to fire. I think that the Tars probably have the most potential out of these teams at the moment that haven't shown their full potential. I think the Reds are probably going to be struggling a bit all season um, for a bit of direction and a bit of creativity in that back line. But I think the Tars, they've got a, like people like Ned Hannigan, Dempsey being abrasive in the forwards, um, Hooper having such a good game as well. If they can really set the platform for that back line, I think that the Tars can beat anyone in the competition. I, I think that they've got a lot more to give. Yeah, so I think they definitely have a lot more to give than what they gave on Saturday night because the Waratahs v the Reds out at Sydney Cricket Ground. Myself and Leo were in attendance for this one. Um, a bit of a shift for the Reds. Uh, Hegarty going into 10. Isaac Lucas getting his first start at 15. Uh, same for the Tars with Beal to 15 and Carmichael Hunt and Adam Ashley Cooper in the centres and Falau moving to the wing. So a bit of a switch around for both teams. And it was a very stop-start game. Didn't really feel like we got flowing at any stage. Um, but the Reds still managing to keep this one reasonably close at points uh, with a few tries. They had three tries each of these teams. But the Tars making the difference in the end with some penalty goals and winning this one 28-17. Yeah, this is a really, like disappointing game in a lot of ways I found like the referee had a, had a some impact it was a lot of uh, penalties blown uh, the ground itself had a bit of an impact that the scrums couldn't really function and and I'm sure that had other you know subtle impacts on the game as well when they the um, turf and sand is just lifting up in plods whenever anyone tries to put a bit of um, power down to the ground so um, the most exciting thing uh, the thing I was looking forward to most was seeing Tars backline uh, light up because this is the lineup, this is the arrangement of players that I think um, capitalizes best on the individual skills of the players. So if they can get it working in harmony, I think it's got huge potential. But it was not unlocked at all. So the forwards didn't get any continuity in their phase play. Um, the, the direction didn't seem to be there, sort of. Each, each set play, we, we're dropping first phase ball where, um, you know, in previous games we've kicked it away, the time we're just dropping it or throwing it behind people, so disjointed. I guess that's to be expected when they reorganise the back line, but still very disappointing. Um, and the Tars finished the game with about 30% possession, so they, they really couldn't hold on to the ball, and they pulled a bit of a Highlanders trick that the couple of times they got a bit of space, they did score points. And then I guess similarly for the Reds, they had 70% possession and, and couldn't put phases together and convert that to points and pressure. 
Yeah, but I think the Reds, look, they took every opportunity almost that they had um, to capitalise on the Tars. And I found like those tries that they scored really almost were unexpected. I didn't think that they'd keep coming back into the game like they did. But yeah, I, I agree that the Tars just, they're a bit sloppy still. Um, their forwards aren't quite performing at the level they need to be. Um, I I sort of thought in this game that, and I think we talked about this, Leo, that, look, the ref definitely hadn't played a part. We thought it was a very highly penalised game, but I actually went back and looked, and they'd had the same number of penalties as the Brumbies and Rebels game. Both had 24 penalties in the game. But it seemed to really stump this game. And, yeah, that it definitely hurt the Reds not being able to use their scrum because the turf was just getting churned up, obviously not quite prepared for full-scale rugby. And I don't know whether that was a little bit of New South Wales side tactics to take away that um, weapon for them. But the Reds, look, they managed to put on some points, but still not enough points, I think. 17 is not enough points to be able to score in these games. And the kicking wasn't uh, in their favour either, so and, and the extras uh, most of the time. So uh, the Reds, Hegarty to Karevi, um, that's that's not looking too bad a combination. We've seen a bit of that so far. Um, we thought we'd, they would have been better served um, rather than putting Duncan Power in, in the middle of those two just to move Karevi in and, and bring Chris Fais or Dia into the outside centre. Get someone like Felipe Delgunu out on the wing. I'm still not convinced Duncan Payao is a, a good enough to player to be starting these games. He was definitely a weak point uh, in their defensive line. At least one of the Waratahs' three tries was scored running through him. Uh, he's your inside centre. He needs to be able to make one-on-one tackles and and stop stop the ball carrier from getting over the top. The the Reds forwards were still very physical and and they will continue to be that they've got a good solid pack there uh like you said just a game of errors like maybe maybe the penalty count was higher earlier in the match but then the the errors mounted and and in terms of the spectacle when the game becomes um error riddled and then we can't even get any good set uh, set piece play out of the scrums because they're collapsing like it really sucked a lot of the energy and um, and momentum for both teams. And, and I guess at least the Waratahs can say they defended reasonably well and, and they got the win. Only thing to mention is welcome back, Tadafu Pilota now. Um, that news broke shortly after we finished uh, the podcast last week. But back here, looks like for the entire six weeks to uh, cover for Tolu Latu's suspension. And they're getting a few more extra faces because Michael Wells is coming back from sevens and should be arriving back at the Waratahs sometime this week. So unlikely probably to get onto the um, field for this week, but uh, that's good timing because there there was an injury to Will Miller off the bench in this game as well. But let's move on and we'll go back to the other game on Friday night, first game of the round, and it was the Hurricanes-Highlanders, and this was another close one, only decided by three points in the end. Uh, Final scores, 25 to the Hurricanes, 22 to the Highlanders. And it was a very windy, slightly damp day in Wellington. And it seemed like it was just a bit of a battle of the forwards where the Highlanders had dominance and the backs where the Hurricanes had dominance. And it was a really close one going back and forth. But again, I think it seems like the difference was that man, Nani Laumapi, came in and scored another two tries in this game, including the first two for the the Hurricanes in this, and that's five tries in two games now. Um, but 
the Highlanders kept it really close and oh, they're really going to continue to challenge these top New Zealand teams. Very good wrap-up, Archer. It was forwards of the Highlanders versus backs of the Hurricanes. Um, I didn't think the Hurricanes were going to get this game, honestly. I, I thought the, Hur- the Highlanders sorry, were going to pull out another away win against fancied opposition. Uh, and they'll be disappointed that they didn't pose the, the return leg of that party game will be one to watch and, and the Highlanders will be hoping at home um, that they can that they can trump Hurricanes. Bowden Barrett and Lamapi, TJ Perinara, that, that little spine into the back line, just, just so strong, um, so hard to counter. They've just got an answer for everything. So um, I think the, the Highlanders will be feeling feeling disappointed, but uh, hopefully they see the positives. They've, they've definitely stayed in touch with one of the best teams in the competition when they're firing, which they were on Friday night. Yeah, I think the Highlanders will continue and to hurt it. And I think it was merely the fact that the Hurricanes were playing at home probably helped them. Um, but it still came down to that penalty in well, after the buzzer to, to get the Hurricanes in front and kicking that penalty to get in front. Um, but definitely some positives from the Highlanders. From the first sort of try, you saw like Aaron Smith tackling Artie Sevilla from the five-meter line from a scrum and driving him back over the line and getting a turnover and allowing Aaron Smith to score that first try. Yeah, that's it. Um, little little guy like Aaron Smith, not afraid of anyone, and and that's the kind of leadership the Highlanders will, will look to 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 motivate the rest of the team and 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 prove that size makes you know. Size is not a factor. If you've got the will to win, you'll find a way to win. And I think the Highlanders are that team. They're still that slightly scrappy team that can they can put it on from the set piece, but they're also very dynamic and dangerous in counter attack, and they can do a lot with little. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting because they've got the Crusaders coming to them back down in Dunedin this weekend, and I think they actually match up really well with that sort of team. Um, I think they they are well placed to give. The Crusaders a good shake and a good competition that I don't think they've really properly had yet in this 2019 competition. Next we'll move on and it's got the Crusaders and the Chiefs um, out of Canterbury uh, and that was on Saturday afternoon and of all the games in this one this was definitely a bit of a washout with the Crusaders running in nine tries to four to the Chiefs in the final score 57-28 I believe it's a record of how many points scored by the Crusaders against the Chiefs in this one. Uh, but I've already mentioned newcomer Sebu Reese, but it was great runs and from everyone in this Crusaders team, um, from the likes of Jack Good, who standing up and having another great game, uh, Tafua in the forwards with some immense carries, and welcome back Cody Taylor as well. Came on late, the all-black, and he scored two tries. Yeah, quality again from the Crusaders. That that back three uh, is... is... Really playing, um, making a lot of meters and and doing a lot of work with the ball. Um, this is not a flattering scoreline for the Chiefs, and it's actually more flattering than it should have been. Really, that the Crusaders definitely eased up and and gave away a couple of tries there late in the game that the Chiefs probably hadn't really earned. Nothing Kenzie could do at ten to really spark spark the Chiefs. Um, they they did get Solomon Alamalo back in the side at 15. Uh, and he, he did a lot for them as well. It was really encouraging to see him come back in and, and have such an impact. This week, the, the article's already talking about maybe moving McKenzie back to 15, which throws up in the air where Solomon Alamalo belongs. Mm. 
Well, we saw former Rebels player Jack Debrazini get his Super Rugby debut for the Chiefs this week. And when he came on, he came into 10 and pushed McKenzie back to fullback. And I don't know what you think about this, Leah, but I actually thought it maybe did give them a bit more structure and attack. Look, he's got a good pass on him and he's actually just taking up the space and unleashing some of those um, more sort of threatening backs outside him, whether that is McKenzie or people like Anton Leonard-Brown, and manages to try in this game himself with a show-and-go late um, in what was sparking maybe that little bit of a fight back from the Chiefs. Yeah, and we've been waiting for Jack Debrasini to to appear. We know he's been, I think he's getting an injury and and only now fit enough to play, but um, good good for him that he's that he's come on and made an impact. Obviously, getting a try in that first game is going to really boost his confidence. Uh, I think you're right, Arch. I think that if they if they did change it up and drop Kenzie back, I don't know where Alamalo ends up, but I'm sure he's still on the field. And Debrasini would be the guy that they'd be relying on to play play from ten, and they know he's played for the Rebels for for some years, and, and he's certainly not rookie if he's got some good combinations developed there then that could be that could be just the change up the Chiefs need yeah well they they need to change something because they've slumped now to no wins four losses and it's hard to see where that first win is going to come and you have Saders on the other side and they take it to 19 straight wins and well their first bonus point um, win of the season yeah nothing changes for the Crusaders they're just always on top mm. Something did change for the Blues, however. They're coming back from overseas and taking on the Sunwolves uh, back down in Auckland. And the Blues are one of the other winless teams in this competition. Um, but they got the win here, 28-20. to 20. I put on the pod last week that I had was tipping the Sunwolves. But after looking at the line-out that came up, Hayden Parker was relegated to the bench. Looks like they just wanted to rest him a bit. Uh, they also had big second rower, Helu, also on the bench. So I had to switch my tip late, and it proved uh, right in this one. But a bit of a back-and-forth game, but four tries to Rico Iwani. Yeah, huge game out of him. Um, this is a very open game, lots of lots of counter, lots of um, sort of uh, risky, high reward, throwing the ball around. Um, it was very balanced, uh, really, In if... If you if you look at what both teams did well, the, there wasn't too much of a difference between them. The the Sunwolves got penalised out of this game a fair bit, uh, and and the Blues obviously finding a way to unlock Rico, whether it's from his brother off the back of a scrum, just mm. straight wide pass and and pace, just out and out pace to outflank the Sunwolves defence, or um, you know a, a proper building backline play. That, um, it's a simple formula, and they put it all together to, to top the Sunwolves, who, who couldn't quite stay in touch. Yeah, and speaking of, I think you mentioned last week, Leah, that the Sunwolves were the most penalised team in Super Rugby. Is that right? Yeah, I think that was that mm. was one of the stats, yeah. Yeah, because in this game... So no, was, no change to that this week. No, 15 penalties to the Sunwolves, and only three for the Blues. So discipline um, not seeming to be a problem for the Blues, at least in this one. Yeah, and, and same same words as last week. The the Sunwolves, if they're going to play this um, really aggressive style, where not only in attack throwing the ball around, but the the off the line side in defence and and you know trying to be really physical in tackles, you're going to run the risk of some tackles slipping up. You're going to run the risk of being called offside, and it's fair enough to test it for the start of the game. But if it's getting called regularly, then you need to address it, and you can't you can't afford to just 
um, continue on. You'll get yellow cards. You'll be down a player or two, and and the other teams will all be making good with that. Mm, definitely. Um, some positives for them. The Sunwolves get to head home now, but players like Michael Little captaining in this one um, and getting back to his sort of 2018 form. Uh, pretty expansive around the back pass in this one to set up a try um, down that left sort of side. Uh, I'm not sure it was really needed to send the ball around the back there. Uh, and there was questions whether it was the knock-on, but still managed to get the try in there. So Michael Little continuing to do things that impress us. Next, we have uh, the we head over to South Africa and Lions versus the Haguaris. Again, one of these replay matches from round one, but two very different lineups to what we saw in round one, but on both sides of the ball, but particularly on the Haguaris. Lots and lots of changes for this. And the Lions, as the commentators kept giving us, they kept saying that this was a very young team, putting in some of these new young guys and seeing how they go. But they made a statement early in the game with two big penalties, um, getting loose head scrums turned over by a Hags forward pack that didn't seem to be able to manage. And then the points started piling on. And the Lions were out by a huge amount in this game. And I actually stopped watching for a little bit. Um, I was slipping over and watching some of the Six Nations. And then I turned it back over just before the end because um, the final score was only eight points different. Final score of 47 to 39. A huge amount of tries, but the Haguaris came back late and scored three tries in the last 10 minutes to show that maybe they, they do have some fight left in them and the, that they're, this away tour that they're going to go on might still have something to, to come from. Yeah, I tipped the Haguaris in this game. I, I didn't look at the lineups closely enough, obviously. Um, although... You made the point, I said this is still a very experienced Haguaris side, so mm. uh, the Lions, you know, quite brave of them to put a young team out, but they definitely took their opportunities, and, and you're right, it did blow out very early. looked like the Lions were just going to have a field day for 80 minutes. Um, as I mentioned, similarly big in this game. Um, the, the Lions starting to look a bit like their old selves from previous years, so there's some hope there that they're not going to just slide into obscurity on that, on that South African conference. Uh, they've done the right thing, won their home game against an experienced Haguaris side. Um, but as you say, Haguaris is still a danger on tour. Uh, if you, anyone who can score 39 points against a South African team at altitude away game, you know, that they, they're going to be challenging their opponents all the way around this tour. And if they do get success like they did last year, then once again, they should be challenging the top of this conference. Yeah. Uh, Leo, did you see for that Haguari's second try, and it was a rolling ball try, um, but it was this weird sort of call that um, the referee, Rasavenga, made that they said, okay, we're going to go up to the TMO to check to make sure that's a try. I think it's not a, I think it's a try. But then sort of said, if it's not a try, it's a penalty, and it's a penalty try. And it just seemed a little bit strange because... Really what that meant was that they were going to have to take a conversion that they otherwise wouldn't have had to take. And in this game, for instance, yeah, it wasn't decided by two points, but the reason the Haguaris missed out on a bonus point um, was those two points, and they did miss the conversion after that try. Yeah, I did notice that. And it is a bit odd. Uh, the only uh, logic I could apply to that was that if if they believe they've got there without having to have a penalty try awarded. Um, I suppose at least a player is getting credit 
for for scoring those points, which maybe it's maybe it's something that's been discussed in the off season when they you know talk about how they manage these situations. They they'd rather um, certainly certainly in the record books have a have a record of people scoring tries rather than a whole heap of penalty tries being given. But you're right, it does come with the the risk that you're not actually going to get the remaining two points. And in hindsight, they would have rather to have have the penalty try. I, I don't know that Razavenga, I can't say his name. Yeah. I don't know that Rust has done anything wrong there. It's definitely an unusual example. I think they just want to make sure the players get a chance to score the try before the ref interferes. Yeah, I don't think he particularly did anything wrong, but yeah, a weird sort of situation. And I know if I was on the team, I would have said, "No, nah, we'll just we'll take the penalty try. I want, I want the seven points rather than the uh, five with the potential for seven, especially because the Lions were just running away a little bit at that point for it. But uh, didn't happen in this one. It's probably is down to the Hags a little bit as well. They rushed for their second last try, rushed and tried to take a quick conversion. Uh, just drop kick right in front drop of the goal. post, yeah, yeah, and put it underneath the crossbar. So they could have had it if they slowed down a little bit in that one, anyway. Um, but the Lions still—they probably should have had a bonus point win for themselves here. But with those last sort of tries, the the Hagiwaras got within the same. I think it was six tries to five or seven tries to six in this one. So they get no bonus point for this victory. Yeah, and, and again, they're both South African conference teams, so bonus points between friends is um, going to be pretty important. They At least they clawed one back if they didn't get one for themselves. Yeah, um, yeah, especially, as you're right, in the South African conference where everything looks like it's so close. Um, and that's our final game of the round is another derby in that, and that's up the road in Pretoria. Uh, the Bulls took on the Sharks, and not so much a big surprise in this one we we were pushing for the Bulls to win in this one and they took it reasonably comfortably 37 to 14 it was really off the back of Andre Pollard because it's only three tries to two but Captain America well and truly took down the Black Panther in this one yeah Pollard continues to be a, uh, a leader and a force in that team and and the reliability of his boot must just give the team so much confidence um, when they're scoring points he's always adding on and um, they've still got this dangerous group of backs. Uh, Jesse Creel is still a master in the midfield there. He's, he he just has the most... Uh, I mean, I think Jack Goodhue as well was was sort of demonstrating this, but just the the settled head um, to make good decisions when, you know, you've got defensive lines rushing up, you've got three different people you could pass the ball to. Are you going to throw a cut out? Are you going to pop inside? Are you just going to go through the hands? Jesse Creel... And and or sorry, even then, should, should you just run it and, and take on the defender yourself? And and Creel just makes such good decisions, uh, and he's and he sorted out his his two wins in this game. They've made lots of clean breaks off the back of his distribution, and um, they're just they 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 look like the form side now. They've they've had a slip up, but um, they've been pretty consistent otherwise. The Bulls, um, the Sharks still looking a bit raw. Um, Robert Dupree's with his ridiculous moustache. Um, doing his best to to um, tough it out and, and lead his team around, but I think Andre Pollard's a much more polished uh, fly half, and, and he's making a big difference for his team. And guys like uh, we've got Dwayne Vermeulen on the back of that forward mm. pack now as well for the Bulls, and he's another player that just adds so much go forward. Um, and I just think the Bulls have definitely recruited well. They've they've got some good stability in their key positions. They're looking like the team to beat in the South African Conference this year. I'm going to gonna stop 
changing my mind and my tune each week and the Bulls, I'm just going to sit on them. I think they're the number one team. Yeah, I have to agree, especially with what we saw. The Bulls scrum got multiple penalties pushing over this Sharks pack that we thought had quite a strong sort of forward pack and a big boys all through that. But that lays such a stable base for their backs and you see how electric they can be with people like Creel. You're right, Speckman got another double here. And it's great to see because he's... Speckman, because he's come from that sevens background, he, he's not only lightning quick, but he's ruck work and he's willing to go in there and go in for a pilfer and things. And it's uh, great to see from that that if the ball goes down near him, he's not afraid to go in and secure it. And it, it's making really good things for this sort of Bulls team. Whereas the Sharks, on the other hand... Um, had a majority of possession and territory in this game, but couldn't turn it into points. It seemed, it felt a little bit uh, like we've seen from the Reds in recent times that despite having the the ball, despite having the time and the opportunities, they just can't convert those sometimes into points. Yeah, they really were on the right side of the, most of the stats there. And really, turnovers conceded was probably their biggest failing. Um, which is probably not such a bad thing. If you're going to lose a game, that's at least something that can should be addressed. They've got a stable set piece. They've got decent lineouts and scrums. Um, they need to turn that possession into points, and you do that by playing more phases, holding the ball for longer and not turning it over. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's pretty much all we have for the Super Rugby Round 4. So let's get into it. Round five of Super Rugby coming up and only six games this week because we've got the Bulls, the Sharks and the Blues all on by. But some really close ones and some really tough ones to pick in this one. I'm, I'm having a tough time getting my tips into this. Uh, but we'll start off Chiefs versus Hurricanes and that's coming out of Waikato. So I think the Hurricanes have still got the form here. Chiefs likely to make some changes uh, if the rumours are, are true. Uh, I think the Hurricanes will come to the Chiefs and, and should be just as a prospect for the Chiefs as the Crusaders were last week. I don't think being at home will help too much. Chiefs are just in dismal form, aren't they? And I think the Hurricanes are going the other way. They're really starting to pick things up and they have a bit of class about them. So I don't think the fact that this is in Waikato will you know, pose any problems for the Canes. I think they'll comfortably get over the Chiefs. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, the Chiefs... Um, schedule doesn't really get any easier from here on in mm. at least in the short term so it's a bit tough for them but i think look kane's that back line nanny lamapi could score another three tries at any time <laughs> Bowden, i think will slowly get back into some better form and at the moment he doesn't really need to be hitting his straps because he's got so many quality guys around him and look, i think that kane's forward pack is looking, looking a little bit stronger as well now that via for has come back in and guys like that so um give me the canes yeah, I'd definitely sweep it for the Canes for us. I am interested to see whether the Chiefs do make the switch and maybe someone like Jack Debrasini comes on um, after his sort of debut for the Chiefs last week. If he gets into that 10, I think he does just give them a bit more structure and I think it just will allow some of those threatening players like Leonard Brown and Alamalu if he gets like switched out to the wing and McKenzie to fullback sort of thing um, to really fire. Yeah, because I think... McKenzie, the experiment at 10, I think it has some merit, but I don't think it's his best position. I think we acknowledge that. Um, and Jack Debrasini, why not give him a go? They're 0 and 4. Um, exactly. You know, it's the Roll Canes. The it's, it's a tough game anyway. Roll the dice. Give McKenzie a bit more space out the back there. Mm. Alamalo, if he's recovered from that hit, hopefully can perform on the wing. And, you know, then you've got probably th- more three guys that are 
playmakers that can really feed guys like Anton Leonard Brown and some of the other quick guys around in the in that back line. So in the lose here, I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs this year. So experimentation might be a good thing for them. Yeah, and I think they don't need Damian McKenzie to be the backup ten for Bowen Barrett and Richard Moang has well and truly taken that anyway. Let's move to the Australian yeah. derby and um, on Friday night out of GIA Stadium in Canberra and the Brumbies hosting the Tars. Brumbies back at home and and playing well, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tip the Tars. Probably probably not going to be the favourites for this game. It's it's probably pretty even, but uh, I think the Waratahs will upset the Brumbies here at home. I can't quite settle my mind on the Brumbies back line being as robust as the Waratahs can be. So really, I'm, I'm just forecasting that Waratahs backs will get it together this week, and and I guess probably more importantly, their forwards will contest well with the Brumbies. Uh, and not let them just walk over the top. So set a good platform for those electric backs and these new combinations hopefully will go well. And uh, I'm going to have to disagree. I think, like I've been saying, I think the Brumbies are in the top of this com- competition and I think they're really going to challenge the Tars in this. I know they, the Tars have that sort of stellar back line that hasn't fired, but the Brumbies just seem to be able to keep putting it together and their forwards, I think, are just going to be fairly dominant over this quite light Tars pack and I said it in the um, earlier that the Brumbies are going to be able to roll this mall all over those Waratah forwards and the Tars really need to have a way to sort of bounce back against that Yeah I wouldn't disagree with you there I think the the Brumbies forward pack is firing and, and they do have you know a lot of success when they play it in tight but similarly I think the Tars are that back row is it's fierce, it's fast um, it's dynamic in its ball-carrying ability. It's probably similar in some ways to the Brumbies. They've got a few guys now that can carry the ball too. But I think bringing Taft back, I think that helps a lot. Whether he starts or not, I'm not sure, against this bigger Brumbies pack. Probably our props is still a little bit where we're lacking with the Tars. And Harry Johnson-Holmes, although he, um, you know, he's pretty good around the field, I think he's probably still got to work on his scrummaging a little bit. Mm. And I think Kepu's had a bit of a slow start to the season. So there's a few question marks there for the Tars for sure. But you know what, I think even though it's at, at the Brumbies' home stadium, I think the Waratahs' back line, I think they can open things up here. And I actually think that they'll get this in a, a very narrow win. But I think it'll be an entertaining game because it's good to see these teams kind of face off in a derby just after the Wallabies meet up. And some of these guys would have had a bit of chat um, and obviously out to prove that they're worthy of selection under Checker. So... I think it's going to be an amazing game, and um, yeah, I think the Tars can do it. Do you think the Tars keep this sort of revamped back line with the centres and Carmichael and Anna, Ashley Cooper and Folau on the wing? I do. I really think that it can work, um, but I think that it, it does require that Folau really injects himself at you know opportune times throughout the, the attacking play, similar to what Korobiti does. He needs to come in off these off his wing and take some inside balls from um, Carmichael or Foley um, mm. and really hit his straps there because in that roaming role, he can he can really open up his game a lot. He's not um, constrained to being at the back waiting for the ball to come to him and, and looking to clear it that way. He can really just move around and has a lot more freedom. So I think if they use him properly in combination with Rona, we see Rona is a good fi- finisher. There are limitations to his game, but... I think his finishing ability, 
plus Falau, you've got really good defence there in the centres now. I can't see any reason why this shouldn't work. I think maybe Kirtley needs a little bit more time to adjust back to fullback, but I think long-term this is the way to go. Yeah, you'd love to see Falau do what well, what Alex Newsom came on the field and did it and running those short balls outside Jake Gordon. And um, a guy like that, Jake, is always going to be able to take a few steps and make some space. And if you have someone like Falau in close there, that's when he's really going to make uh, a big difference. The Brumbies may be without a few key personnel with Alan Alatoa had that dislocated wrist um, over the weekend and they're um, apparently no no serious damage but may keep him out this week and Pocock's also under a bit of an injury cloud as well. Yeah, and I think you said it there, Jake Gordon. What about those? I think he did it twice. I think he did it with Hannigan where he just held up that pass straight mm-hmm. through the gap and I think he did it again, like you say, with Newsom. So really underrated in the way that you can carry the ball around those fringes and then just set up players through the gap. Um, and it's probably something that Foley isn't doing enough at the moment. So to see Jake Gordon step up and do that and take things into his own hands, you know, he's rivaling Genia a little bit in that respect. So it's great to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting because Phipps is going to be back to fitness um, and be available for selection, I think, in this game. But at the moment, I don't think they're going to replace Gordon. Well, has Gordon, I think Gordon's played every single minute of Super Rugby this year in the games the Tars have had. I don't think Mitch Short's come off the bench, so it probably speaks to how much they trust Mitch Short a little bit, and um, I think Phipps will get some time. It'll probably relieve Jake Gordon a little bit in the last 10, 15 minutes, but I can't see him displacing him at all mm. this season. Mm. Next game, we have a bit of an earlier South African game coming in on Saturday morning. The Stormers taking on the Haguaras. Um That's from Newlands as well. I still don't like the look of the Stormers, Arch. I think they're this team that are probably just going to screw me over every single week of tipping, but I'm going Haguaras. Uh, I think they've got the form. I think they've shown they can tour well. Last week was a bit unfortunate, but they, they kept the fight. They didn't fall out of the game and get all emotional and, and lose their heads. They they stayed in the contest, and I think this they won't have such a potent attacking side to have to run down. Yeah, I sort of agree that Haguaras showed that they can score some points in that game versus the Lions. I, I want to see what team they put out, whether they put out sort of their top-line team or they put out their sort of second-line team. The Stormers are this weird pick, like team that may just show up and they've had a week off, they've had a week to plan. Um, I'm thinking the Haguaris at the moment, but it'll depend on the team. Yeah, it really just... Um, again, it's hard to pick because it was it was easy for you guys to pick the Haguaris over the Lions last week. And you know what? The Lions surprised us. Over the Haguaras, I think those changes didn't help, but they've got plenty of talent there, and I think the Stormers are a bit hit and miss as well. So definitely a hard one to pick. Um, I think I'm going to take the Haguaras. I think they've probably got the quality on the Stormers, um, and I think not playing at altitude will play a factor in this. I think the Haguaras, they might even reinstate some of these guys that missed out last week. So, um, yeah, look, I'm going to take them as well. Um, but look, I wouldn't be surprised if the Stormers come out and surprise us again. Keeping with these games that are really hard to pick, the next one is not much easier. And it's coming out of Tokyo, the the one-win Sunwolves taking on the winless Reds at the moment, one of only two winless teams, the Reds and the Chiefs. And it's going to be a really tough one here, because, especially because uh, the Reds are going to be without a couple of people. Their Wallabies will be staying in Australia up until, I think, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, before they join the rest of the team in Tokyo. 
So who have we got doing that? We've got Tong and Thor staying back. We've got, I think, Harry Hawkins I saw on Instagram. I was surprised to see him there in the Wallabies um, mm-hmm. meeting there. Yeah. Um, Luke Antui, or Luke and I've forgotten his last name now. But, the man formerly known um, as Luke Antui, yeah. Yeah. And then Just you'll have people from here on out. <laughs> then you'll probably have Karevi and I believe Sefanayavalu be hanging around as well. As and I think number seven Liam Wright was there as well. Oh, so really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a few guys that are going to miss some training with this team this week. And mate, based on the Sunwolves and some of the guys they're getting back, I think you've got to go Sunwolves in this one. I. I would have thought on paper, you know, start of the season, you, you see this sort of game and you think, okay, the Reds with the strength in their forwards can really come in there and, and play physical and, and dominate a Sunwolves team that's, you know, a bit light and fast around the park but doesn't really pack that punch. But I think the guys that the Sunwolves should get back, you know, if not this week, the week after, they're going to really add some physicality. So I think that um, the Sunwolves can really match the Reds across the park. Um, and I think they, they have a lot more threats out wide. So I'm probably going to have to go with the Sunwolves. And, um, yeah, look, I hope the Reds play well, but I can see the Sunwolves kind of keeping that form going. This is probably the one of the toughest games. These two teams are both quite low on the table, and I can see so much potential for both the Sunwolves and the Reds. Oh, I'm really split. Um, I'll pick a draw because it's such a low odds uh, <laughs> prospect. But, um, look... At this stage, without seeing the team list, I assume the Sunwolves will revert back to Hayden Parker uh, at 10. They'll settle in. They'll have the best players they can bring forward. Will the Reds break their streak? I kind of feel like they're due, but I'm, I'm going to go Sunwolves uh, at this stage. I, I think the Reds, unfortunately, will lose another one. Wow. Um, and then when they get back to home, maybe they'll, maybe they'll set the course. Um, hopefully, they can keep their heads up even with another loss. Yeah, amazing to think that the Sunwolves be favoured um, in one of these games coming into it. I think you're right. I think the Sunwolves definitely have the potential to take this away. Um, we saw them absolutely blitz the Reds last season in this fixture as well. What the Reds need to do, and it's what teams seem to struggle to do against the Sunwolves, is not to fall into the trap of playing their game. They need to slow it down, keep it with their big forwards. Um, don't let the Sunwolves have these sort of turnover ball, this loose play. Keep it nice and tight and really tire out that probably smaller Sunwolves pack. Yeah, so it, it probably, like you say, Arch, you've got to control the game. You've got to get someone like Hamish Stewart in at 10 or Hegarty controlling the play and really directing these big forwards around and getting them in the right part of the field so they can really dominate the rucks, the malls, and, um, you know, get over the top of these Sunwolves. But it's going to be a tough one for the Reds. They've um, had a tough start to the season and it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, definitely not, definitely not. Needs to run a few of their big boys straight at Hayden Parker, see if they can make him miss a kick finally, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. Next game, and God, if the Brumbies Tars in the game of the round, then I think this is probably the game of the round. The Highlanders hosting the Crusaders. And like I said before, I think the Highlanders have a way to winning this game. They, They have a game plan and a team set up that they can really challenge the Crusaders because their forward pack has been really dominant so far this year. Yeah, I, I don't know, Arch. I think they do have a lot of quality in that forward pack. Um, I think, you know, Frizzell's been amazing. I think they've got a lot of talent there in terms of playing as a team as well. Um, they seem to kind of play for each other, which is the Crusaders as well, they do that. But the Highlanders really have that kind of hard edge about them, no-nonsense 
And I've really been impressed by um, their number 10 as well. Yeah, Joshua Iwani has really stepped up and really seems to be taking hold of this team. Yeah, so I think if, if guys like Aaron Smith and Ben Smith are firing and you've got young guys like that really stepping up, I think it, it could be closer than, than some people expect. It's, um, it's always a tough place to play down there in Forsyth Bar and there's a lot of support for the Highlanders. But I can't tip against the Crusaders at the moment. They're, just, they're too consistent. They have too much talent um, coming out of the woodwork. Just guys that are, you've never heard of stepping up, play their first game, perform. It doesn't really seem to matter if they miss a few guys each week. They always seem to get um, on the right side of the score sheet. So but give me the Crusaders, but um, I'm hoping the Highlanders really take it to them. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm talking up the Highlanders, but in the end, yeah, I think I think we'll all end up tipping the Crusaders unless they put a really understrength team up. Not that I think the Crusaders really have an understrength team they could put up. They can put up a whole bunch of debutants and they'd still play to that system and still be really competitive. Highlanders-Crusaders is going to be a really exciting game. Uh, the Crusaders, obviously the form team, I, I think they'll be back to full strength. And they're unlikely to leave out. Uh, too many guys have had a decent sort of rotation out last week. Uh, the Highlanders, oh, yeah, this is so hard. I think the Crusaders are going to win, Arch, but the, the Highlanders should be within a few points. Uh, I don't think the Crusaders will blow them out like they did the Chiefs. And the final game of the round, and the Rebels are heading off to Johannesburg. The versus Lions team that is, they're putting together a few young guys, they're bringing in a few new faces into it, and it worked versus the Haguaras. They were able to run all over them with some really electric backline play and some really good sort of forward running and offloading as well. Um, it's a tough one to look at, especially at altitude for the Rebels to try and get on this. And again, it comes back to not having a couple of people like Will Genier and Quade Cooper and a few others from the Rebels uh, not joining the team until later on in, in South Africa. Rebels going on their uh, first long travel of the year. Look, you've got to go to the South African home team in these ones. I think the, the Rebels with a huge amount of potential and undefeated. Uh, the Lions look not, not looking so crash hot, but picked them picked it all up again this week and, and found some new players. Uh, maybe this week they'll continue that. I don't generally want to tip the Rebels away just yet. Um, it's going to be a see-it-before-I-believe-it type situation for me. You'd have to think these obligations for some of the top players to spend time you know, in a Wallabies setup leading into such a big game with the Lions. The Rebels, are they're travelling all the way from Melbourne um, to Johannesburg, obviously, and they're going to be at altitude, so that's an adjustment. They've got to train without their some of their key players for the first few days of the week. And look, the Lions are unpredictable. I think they're playing with a, a smaller, faster forward pack at the moment. They've got a back line that's still evolving. They've kind of they made some changes last week in their centres. Um, they seem to rotate in and out certain wingers. So there's not a lot of stability there for the Lions at the moment. And I think that's something that the Rebels do have. They've had really consistent selections in their team and, um, you know, guys really performing well. So it's, I don't know, man, it's it's going to be really tough to pick this one. And I think the smart pick is probably with the Lions. I think the Rebels probably are due a loss. But look, if the, the Rebels can come into Johannesburg and, and win this game, you know, this really sets up their season so well and gives them confidence, I think, to win anywhere. So I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough tussle. But yeah, look, I'm going to have to take the Lions for now, but I'll have a look at the team sheets as well because that can actually influence you a lot, I think, when it comes to the Lions. 
If I was Dave Wessels, I would definitely be looking to potentially take this as a time to rest some of my stars and get those sort of resting games in um, as required for the Wallabies because, look, you're having limited preparation. First game overseas in a difficult area. You're feeling probably like you're going to have to play incredibly well and put a lot into these guys to try and take away a win here. I think potentially this is a game that you can go rest a couple of your stars, maybe put um, Quaid and Genia on the bench and you know see whether you can bring back Reese Hodge into a bit more, get Michael Ruru in there and see whether you can save a little bit of stamina for your star players um, for your next game on tour. Yeah, and that's a good point because they do have the Sharks the next week, which is in Durban and Sharks are obviously a good team as well, but um, I think that the longer you spend in a country to acclimatise like that, I think that um, having the stars around for a full week of training could really fire them up for the Sharks game. So that might be a, a bit of a, a tactic there, Arch, to give these some of these uh, younger guys a bit of an opportunity. But it's tough to see it happening, isn't it? But I think it, it might even be the smartest thing to do at the moment because the Rebels, um, you know, they need to kind of use their depth as well to give these guys experience. And even though these Lions... They used to be the team to beat. I don't think they're that, they're that team anymore. So could be a good opportunity. Definitely, definitely. That's that's it for round five of the Super Rugby, but a lot of great games there to watch. Speaking of great games, the Super W competition is still ticking over in the background a little bit here. And we had round three of that. The first game, uh, the opener prior to the Rebels-Brumbies game was the Rebels women taking on Rugby Western Australia. And... A bit of a highlight for the Rebels getting their first points of the season, uh, but they still went down to a strong Western Australian outfit, uh, 10 points to 38. And Western Australia continues to show a bit of form, uh, tighter than they would have expected, but they broke through first with Mika Carter, their fullback, and she was instrumental, first slicing through the back line of the Rebels uh, to score the first try and getting a second one in a show of genuine pace. But I think the biggest celebration here was probably the Rebels getting their first try of the season. Uh, Hooker, Fagalio snuck through the middle of the ruck to claim uh, a valuable Rebels first five-pointer of the season. Yeah, and good to see this competition still going strong. Um, obviously, it's a condensed form, so you really have to pay attention and, or it'll be gone before you know it. But the Tars seem to be doing well in this arch. Are they they're, they're undefeated this season? That's right. That's right. And what was a grand final rematch? Uh, the Waratahs played on Sunday afternoon versus the Queensland women uh, down at Leichhardt Oval, which they actually packed out pretty well. They had 2,500 people then. And it was a tough-fought one, just like last year's final. But the Tars women got over the top, um, which really helps them because it probably secures them a home final in this one. The Reds did come out strong, striking first, and they needed a bit of luck, the Tars, to get back into this. But... Um, Ash Houston continued to be instrumental, put over Maya Stewart for the first try, and it was a bit back and forth and only ended um, with the Tars having to ground the ball in their own in goal after a, a clever little kick. So it, it could have easily gone the other way, um, only just denying the Reds at the buzzer. And, I mean, I've actually been impressed as well. If you go on social media... <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, and I've actually been impressed as well. If you check out social media on some of the Instagram stories and Instagram accounts more generally... Um, the New South Wales girls have been getting amongst it, really showing a bit of you, a bit of the behind the scenes of, of what they do and lead up to games and their reactions to performances and stuff. So 
it's actually really good to get a bit of an insight into how they prepare and and some of the things they have to to go through day to day so they you know jump on there and have a look yeah and look there's been questions about look disparity in this competition because there's been it's just sort of down to this new south wales queensland at the moment um but i think it's definitely worth continuing on with it we saw it with every sort of new teams coming into club when the Melbourne Rebels first came on with the Sunwolves. It takes a few years to them to gain a little bit of backing, gain a little bit of ascendancy in this competition, but you then get to see some of these teams really come out and challenge, like the Rebels this year, like what the Sunwolves do, and I think we'll see it from uh, especially teams like the Melbourne Rebels in years to come and Rugby Western Australia as well. The real positive with all this stuff as well is that we're leading the way. New Zealand rugby in terms of women's rugby is doesn't have a competition like this in place. And so we're actually, I think, leading the way until maybe a bit of a trans-Tasman Super W competition um, in the long term. I'm not sure exactly when that could happen, but I've heard some of the New Zealand commentators talking about trying to get their women's competition up and going and, you know, more around professionalism in that context and, you can see if you know if the the Australian girls have a bit of a head start on this, there'd be no reason why the two competitions eventually could you know merge or you know just bring in the New Zealand teams more more broadly. So I think it's a really good start and it it works towards more strength of um, you know just talent and competitiveness across the the women's 15s game for the for for the Australians. Yeah, definitely. I think that's completely completely correct, and we definitely need to get as much backing behind it as we can. Um, It starts again with round four this week, second last round before we get into finals, and that's Queensland versus the Brumbies. That's on Saturday evening up at Ballymore. Um, No other sort of super games in Australia, so that'd be a really good one to watch, kicking off about 6pm. And then on Sunday, um, Rugby Western Australia, the girls taking on the Waratahs, but that's over in Western Australia at Curtin Uni. Um, So it'll be a tough one for the Tars to go in against a bit of a physical Western Australian team. Yeah, get out and support it though, guys. And, you know, give us some feedback on what you think as well. We can always feed that into the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Now let's let's move to your area of the woods, Toby, and let's go to Six Nations Corner. And a big couple of games on the weekend, setting up an even bigger final round of the Six Nations this weekend. We had Scotland taking on Wales up in Murrayfield in a hard-fought battle. Scotland winning that one 11-18. England absolutely annihilating Italy, 57-14 out of Twickenham. And Ireland keeping their hopes alive for this tournament, um, winning over France 26-14. to 14. Yeah, and I, th- I think the main one that I was concerned with, I think, was Wales and Scotland because playing up there in Murrayfield, is, it's a tough place to play, even though sometimes the Scottish teams aren't the strongest. They always put in a good effort, and even though they were missing some guys here, some of their top talent, guys like Stuart Hogg, uh, Hugh Jones, guys like that, yeah. um, they still performed well, and they they really gave Wales a bit of a uh, bit of a, a test there. But Wales did well to control the game. Um, they didn't really seem like they were at risk of losing it at any time, but they didn't score many points. I think they only scored three points in the second half. Yeah. So, you know, Scotland did come back fighting, but Wales just seemed like they've got that poise about them at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to next week now for Wales. I think if they want this Grand Slam, they need, obviously, to win that last game. And I think even to get the Six Nations, they still need to win because England have the bonus points behind them and England have a much easier game next week against Scotland. So I think, look, Wales, Ireland, what a cracker for next week. But um, similarly, I think, you know, England, 
in this game against Italy, it was just, you know, a bit of a demolition job. Um, I don't know if you caught any of it, Arch, but some of the, some of the plays are coming up with um, one-handed passes here and there and just a lot of, you know, sparkle rugby, really. Yeah, it's really impressive what they sort of can do when they're turning it on here. And this isn't the same English team of, what, like years past where it's a kick and chase, it's a tight um, mauling and rucks with the forwards. They really put some spark on and they've got some electric backs that can pull off some of these great moves and they can they can score from all over the park. Yeah, it's just, I mean, crazy to think the amount of talent in that back line. Having Tuolangi there now has just really brought everything together for them. And Elliot Daly's got a lot of poise there at fullback. Kokosunga, Johnny May, I mean, Owen Farrell at 10. You can just go on forever with these guys. And it pains me to say it, but I think if they keep playing this way with these kind of guys in the back line that can really light it up, I really think they can test the All Blacks. So, you know, not that I'm a fan of England at any point in time, but it's good to see them playing entertaining rugby at least. Yeah, definitely. But as you say, Wales, they can take the Grand Slam uh, if they beat Ireland this weekend. And as Warren Gatlin keeps saying, they've, they've almost forgotten how to lose. They, they're just so confident in what they can do. And it's, it's really actually, uh, like, we talk about we want them to win, we want them to take down England, but thinking in terms of the World Cup coming forward, God, it's a little bit scary to think that we're going to have to be going up against these boys um, come, come Tokyo. As a team, you can see why they do so well. But if you broke down individual players, often you'd be picking, you know, if you put the Wallabies team against their team, I think you'd probably pick more Wallabies than Welsh players. But... The way that they're put together by Gatland as a team just works so well. Um, you got guys, obviously, like Jonathan Davis just absolutely killing it. Um, I think um, still at number 10, I think they do – It's you know, Gareth Anscombe is serviceable. I'm not sure he's the long-term option there at 10, but they haven't really found anyone else, and Bigger hasn't really shone through too much lately. So, um, you know, I, I think they're, they're – in. They're a well-put-together team. Um, not a bunch of superstars like England perhaps is, but, um, look, you have to give them credit. They came second in the Six Nations last year and everyone thought they just kind of fluked that. And they've come out this year and I think they've won now 13 in a row. Yeah. So it's no accident that they're this good. They've been coached so well and they, they know their jobs and they just, they're consistent about it. So I really hope that they can get it done in Cardiff this weekend. Um, but, look, Ireland, Joe Smith must have some tricks up his sleeve. Ireland really haven't been in the best form during this Six Nations, but they might leave their best till last, and who knows, they could pull off an upset against Wales. Yeah, potentially. Um, Wales, of course, have been going through the Six Nations and still been having success, even with the likes of Lee Halfpenny being injured. Um, I think he's available, will be available for this weekend, but he was really the person that they put a lot of their hopes on in, in years past, but no longer. They've, they've got a... A, a good group of people around um, that back line and especially through that really strong forward pack. Yeah, and Liam Williams has been doing well back there at fullback. Very deceptive in the way he runs and some of his decision-making is on point. So I think it's um it'll be a really entertaining game and hopefully, you know, England versus Scotland, who knows, Scotland could pull off a bit of an upset there at Twickenham. It's unlikely, but you'd never rule out that kind of fierce rivalry between those two teams. And then, I mean, Italy and France, they're probably just making up the numbers a bit there, but you'd expect France probably to get the win. 
Yeah, you'd think so. And I think there's some ridiculous record that Scotland haven't won at Twickenham in something like over 10 years. So um, I think it'd be very hard-pressed for a bit of an injury depleted. And even on the weekend, you saw their, their back line. They were dropping like flies and losing more and more people. So they're definitely going to have a tough tough task to take down a, a roaring England team. Definitely. The only other thing that we'll just update you on, the America's Rugby Championships all wrapped up now. And Argentina closed it out in a clean sweep. Five games from five. Uruguay taking second and USA third in that. A uh, little bit of warning bells for a team like Canada coming in second last in that one. Uh, but we'll see what these teams seem to pull out once we get close to the World Cup. But Uruguay, again, looking a bit stronger. Um, and they might be someone who might be a bit of a dark horse to um, challenge some teams in the World Cup as well. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see that Uruguay have beaten USA. I wouldn't have picked that at all. I mean... You know, USA, you'd think probably emerging a bit more as a as a contender in world rugby, but I think they've still got a ways to go based on this. And the MLR might help a little bit in terms of developing that local talent. But, um, yeah, I think it's good to see some diversity in teams that are coming through, though. Obviously, we like to see that. Georgia showed some merit possibly coming into the Six Nations at some point if um, Italy continue to do poorly. But, um, yeah, look, who knows what's going to happen with this world nations championship or world league or whatever they want to call it there could be a lot more um, exposure to teams like usa and uruguay um, on the global stage that's right and speaking of major league rugby uh, new orleans gold continue to be on top in that competition with the san diego lesion dropping down a little bit but we'll give you a bit more of a full update on that next week i think yeah we'll get into it there's plenty to talk about i think um you know some of those those teams in the MLR, they've got a bit of flair. There's it's high-scoring games, and the good thing is you can actually catch some of the games like I've talked about before on Facebook Live. So streams aren't too bad. They're, they're HD quality, and you can get them straight to your phone. So urge you to kind of have a look at that as well. Yeah, New York Rugby United is starting to make a bit of a push in that team as well, and they've got a couple of easier games, so they'll be rising up the rankings. Uh, but, Toby, what, what are you looking forward to most this weekend? Is it the Six Nations? Is it the Super Rugby? I think, um, look, I'm going to have to put the Waratahs and Brumbies as a bit of a grudge match high up on my list, but I think number one's probably going to be Wales and whether they can do it for the Grand Slam. You know, I might get out there, put on my Welsh jersey and um, get into an English pub and create some um, mischief maybe. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. For, for my part, I'm, yeah, I'm going to stick with the Brumbies-Tars. I think I'm going to head down to Canberra and catch it live, um, head down to GAO Stadium on Friday night. Should be a great sort of atmosphere down there as well. Very jealous. Mate, it's not long now. You, you've got to get back here and start seeing this. I think, what, you're going to make a make a trip over to catch some games this year? Yeah, mate, I'll be back at some point. I think we've got a couple of games lined up, maybe a, a couple of TARS games, local derbies, and we'll try and get along to those. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing the pod live back with you guys. Sounds good. As always, guys, you should keep up with us on Instagram at the Running Rugby Podcast and on Facebook at the same as well as on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Lots of interesting new news coming through there and some polls coming up. I think our followers were pretty spot on with our tipping uh, for this weekend. Uh, they seem to have it all right. I think the Hags Lions game was the only one that confused the people a little bit. Um, but stay up to date on that. Send us through what you're thinking and we'll get it out on the podcast as well. But of course, you can download us and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts as well. 
So subscribe to that, guys. Let your friends know, and we'll see you all next week. But for now, keep on running. Run.